Good morning. I kind of noticed that when uh, Bob highlighted his favorite teams, he highlighted the Trojans win and the Lakers win, but uh, he never talked about the Bruins, which is fine with me. Uh, <laughs> just we are all equal opportunity here. Didi's back there like, what's going on? Uh, and by the way, the Clippers beat the Lakers this week. Uh, so, um, but as we get started this morning, I have, uh, how many of you are dreamers? Like, I'm not talking about like, you like to dream of what's in the future. I'm talking about actually when you sleep, you got vivid dreams and you can remember them. How many of you, uh, like you get such vivid dreams well, when you uh, gather with people around the breakfast table, you got stories to tell as if something actually happened to you. You get these vivid dreams. I get such vivid dreams sometimes it wakes me up in the middle of, the, of my sleep. Like, whoa! And then, I, and then I have a hard time going back to sleep. I get these, these uh, vivid dreams. There is a person in the Bible that used to get those kind of dreams. He was actually a powerful ruler. In fact, he was the king of the most powerful uh, nation of the world at the time. And he put tremendous weight in these dreams. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. He was king of Babylon. Actually, the country's name was Assyria, and the capital city was Babylon. But because of the, the, uh, the magnificent city, the magnificent capital city, sometimes they just called the empire Babylon itself. And King Nebuchadnezzar would get these dreams that he could not get out of his mind. They would drive him crazy until he would uh, get some sort of interpretation. Nebuchadnezzar was a powerful man. Uh, we speak of superpowers, and uh, we think of America and China and Japan, Russia, uh, Germany. Uh, in that day and age, there was one superpower, and it was the first superpower in the history of the world. Babylon was great, and King Nebuchadnezzar was at the head of it when it rose to being this mighty empire. And Nebuchadnezzar loved to see his power and his glory. He built this capital city as a, a magnificent sign to all the people around that this was a great place and there was no doubt who was over the, over the empire. Every single brick that was used to build Babylon had Nebuchadnezzar's name inscribed on it. Archaeologists have uh, discovered these bricks and know it to be true. And, and he built a massive city. It had a wall outside that was meant to be intimidating. One uh, person, a historian of the day, described the walls as 320 feet high and 80 feet wide. Now, archaeologists think that was probably some good exaggeration. But uh, nonetheless, it was massive. It was huge. It was meant to be impressive as someone approached the city. The, the uh, city, uh, the, the wall on the outside had a, a main entrance, like all cities at that time would have. The, the entrance at, of Babylon had a name. It was called Ishtar, which in English means light bearer. And, uh, and, and the, the reason they named it that was probably for a couple different reasons. One, 
They wanted the city to be kind of like that light bearer to all the nations. This was to be the city that had the most impressive truth and was going to give light to everyone else. But it was also bear, uh, bared that name because the, the entrance was covered in these spectacular tiles. If you've been to the uh, Middle East, you know that they love to have uh, these beautiful blue tiles that the uh, light would shine off of. And the whole entrance was covered with these uh, blue tiles that had uh, white and gold mosaics with the tiles of of, uh, uh, built into these blue tiles, the mosaics of dragons and bears and lions, things that were meant to be impressive. And so anyone who would enter into the city knew they were entering somewhere spectacular. At the center of the city, there was a seven-story building, which might not sound impressive to us, but in that day and age, this was a skyscraper. It was a huge building that was meant to house the gods. And so all of this was to say that here was a superpower of a nation, an empire, the one that ruled the world, and there was one person that had sole authority in this kingdom. And his name was Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was a person of power and glory. And as we look at the story of Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible, we're going to see that this power and this glory uh, went to his head. He became a person that was so concerned with his own power and his own glory. The reason we bring this up is because we're going through a sermon series called Counterfeit Gods. And this morning I want us to talk about the counterfeit God of power and glory. Now some of you may think right off the bat, okay, Pastor Corey's talked about dreams. This is going to be my Sunday to catch up on my sleep. Uh, because I have, that has nothing to do with me. And I might have served the idols of wealth and money. That might be a temptation for me. Or the idols of success and achievement. Or the idols of love and lust and those things. But power and glory. I'm not a self-centered person. I'm not concerned with my own reputation all the time. But let me, let me uh, put it to us this way. Because we're going to see in Nebuchadnezzar that sometimes these desires for power and glory can be buried deep inside in ways that we don't always recognize it. And we might not recognize it even in our own hearts. And so let me ask it this way. Uh, Do you desire to have control over all the things in your life? In other words, what if some of the things in your life were outside of your control? Let's just put it in through that kind of negative lens for a second. What would that do to your heart and your life? What if you felt like your marriage was out of control? That your marriage, it was was crumbling and there was nothing you could do about it. What if you felt like your kids were on the wrong track? They were out of control and there was nothing you could do about it. What if things at work or at school become out of control? How do you react to that? Or what if your finances are being drained, your retirement account is going down the drains, and there's nothing you can do about it? What if you were out of control? What would that do to your own heart? 
You see, I think all of us love to be in control. In fact, we may love control so much that it, without, it even ri- without us even realizing it can rise up as a counterfeit God in our lives where we want to be in control of all the things in our life. The counterfeit gods of power and glory tempt us in two specific ways. They tempt us first to self-reliance. In other words, we begin to want to only trust in our own abilities, in our own wisdom, in our own strength, and not in the help and the knowledge of God. It is a temptation towards self-reliance. And we might ask ourselves, am I relying upon myself or do I rely upon God? The second temptation is that of self-glorification. In other words, do we take the credit for the good things in our lives? When things happen around us, uh, do we understand that, hey, I've done something pretty good here. I'm a pretty good person. All of these things happen because of my own abilities. Or rather, do we give God credit for the things that He does? If we live by the counterfeit gods of power and glory, we are more focused on ourselves than we are on God and God's work in the world. And what happens is we begin to look outwardly. We look at all the things around us and our attention uh, gets fixated on circumstances and events and the things that are happening. And, and then when our eyes get looking outward, then we begin to look inward. And we think, how am I going to handle this? What am I going to do to solve this problem? What am I going to do to rectify this situation? And we consider our own abilities, or our own uh, knowledge, or our own strength. And really what we ought to do is we ought to look upward and look to God. And so when we look around, are we looking inward or are we looking upward? And the challenge that we have before us today is to consider what our natural tendency is. You see, Nebuchadnezzar had this vivid dream, and I think somehow he knew subconsciously that this dream that we're going to look at this morning was a dream about power and glory. And it disturbed him greatly. He could not get it out of his mind because this, these counterfeit gods had taken up such root in his own heart and his subconscious. And uh, the same thing can happen to our lives. And so let's talk about this. The the almighty leader of the nation, Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream and he needed to know its interpretation. He had to know. He couldn't get it out of his mind. So he gathered all the people in this country that were in his service. And there were a lot. There were uh, military leaders. There were political advisors. There were the priests of the gods. There were fortune tellers. There were astrologers. You name it, he gathered them all and he said, I need to know the meaning of this dream. And they said, no problem, king. Tell us, what was your dream about? And he says, that's the thing. We've been down this road before. And I'm going to tell you the dream, and then you're going to tell me this, and you're going to tell me this, and you're going to. T- and it feels like all of you are just taking stabs in the dark. Here's what we're going to do this time you're going to tell me, first of all, the dream, and then you're going to tell me its interpretation. Then I'll know, if you know what the dream is, then I'll know you have some sort of deep meaning. And you can imagine what the leaders thought. 
what in the world are you talking about, king? How is anyone going to know what you were thinking about when you were asleep? I can't even remember my own dreams. How am I going to tell you your dreams? And they thought he was nuts. Daniel 2.10 says, The astrologers uh, answered the king, There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it except, no one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. Oh boy, we get a little taste right there. And, uh, but the astrologers, the astrologers they, they got some, a couple things right here. First of all, they're looking around, and they're looking what's uh, being asked of them. And, uh, and then they look inward, and they think, it can't be done. It's impossible. And what they almost do is they almost look upward, but then they say, nope, that's a waste of time. The gods do not uh, uh, live among uh, human beings. And so you can guess the king's response. He's ticked off. (laughs) Off with your heads. The next verse. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. The king's advisors thought he had gone nuts. He's so consumed with power and glory that he can't think straight. And the ironic thing is that what we see in both the king and his wise men is the exact same pursuit. They are all in pursuit of power and glory. And and this pursuit is so pervasive that it ought to make us a step back and to say, could this be true in our lives as well? How about you, when you look around your life and you see the circumstances and and the situations in your life seem so dire, so tremendously difficult, do you grow overwhelmed and discouraged? And I know some of you right now are going through those type of things. When you look outward, it is, a, it is a difficult thing to see. And then you might begin to look inward and you say, I can't do it. It's more than what I can handle. We may muster up enough strength that we do the best that we can. But at some point, there is a breaking point and we recognize, I can't do it. And so then are we like the astrologers that throw up our hands and say, oh well, can't be done, or are we like who we will see Daniel to be and we would look upward and look to God for strength, for wisdom, for his help. Daniel is the one person in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom who has the, uh, has the understanding to look to God. Nebuchadnezzar is just a young man at the time, or I mean, Daniel is just a young man at the time. He had been taken captive when the, when the Babylonians had invaded Israel and defeated the nation. And what was their normal pattern, their normal uh, habit was they would take all the best people in whatever country they had just conquered, the, the best and the brightest and the strongest and the greatest warriors and the smartest guys, and Daniel and three other dudes were taken into uh, Nebuchadnezzar's 
uh, of service. And Daniel had a habit of beginning to look to God when, when he looked around and things got difficult. And this is what it says in Daniel 2.14. Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree that everyone was going to lose their heads? Uh, Ariok, who was the king's officer, then uh, explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went to the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. And Nebuchadnezzar says, one day. We're not buying time. We're not stalling here. You get one day. And the thing is, Daniel wasn't just stalling. He knew that he had found a better way to live life. He knew how to look upward to God. Now, some background information on Daniel. We go back to chapter 1, and we see that what, what we have here in chapter 2 is just not an isolated incident. This is how Daniel regularly lived. When Daniel was brought into Babylon, he wasn't impressed by all the opulence of the, of the city and, and the magnificent things that were all around him. In fact, he was invited to sit down at the king's table, and the king's table had a feast. What all the king's servants would have ate every day, and it was the most spectacular food that you can imagine. I'm thinking like T-bone steaks and uh, baked potatoes and... Um, What's that, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the blooming onion that you get at Outback Steakhouse? Maybe I'm just hungry for Outback Steakhouse. But th- this is what I say. And then there's pie, and there's lasagna, and whatever else. Some of you will put sushi on this table. No sushi for me. Uh, but whatever you love, that's what's there. And Daniel looked at all of it, and he says, No thanks. Doesn't impress me. Not what I want. He says, let me uh, just eat vegetables and water. And the king's chef is offended by this. He said, vegetables and water? No way. And Daniel said, 10 days. Let me try it. And then we'll see after 10 days who is, who is in better shape. And Daniel 1.15 says, at the end of 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. You see, I point all of this out because I hope that we can gain fresh eyes. We live in a kingdom like Babylon. And there is such a pursuit of power and glory all around us that we could get caught up in it uh, all the same. May we be like Daniel to look at fresh, uh, with fresh eyes and say, no thanks, not for me. You see, we see the businessman and he's, taking advantage of those that are, uh, that are in his company. The, he's taking advantage of those that are below him and, and just so that he could get a little more power and a little bit more glory. He's already rich and those that are serving him are poor, but uh, he wants more and more and more. And we might be able to look at that and say, no thanks, not for me. We look at the politician and, uh, who, doesn't, who isn't in office to serve the people, but simply to serve his own power and the glory, and we might be able to say, no thanks, not for me. Look at the celebrity that just can't get enough of the camera and, uh, and wants to be on TMZ every night and always putting uh, herself out there, and we might say, no thanks, not for me. 
And it's not just the rich and the famous. We look at those around us, and it's the constant pursuit of more. Not just to measure up to the Joneses, to keep up with the Joneses, but to be better than the Joneses. We've got to have the new and the latest and the best, and it's a constant pursuit of power and glory. And may we be able to look around us and say, no thanks, there's got to be a better way to live. The better way of life is to look upwards to God rather than outward at the things around us or inward to our own wisdom and strength. That's the better way to life. And that's what we're being called to as Christians. You see, our culture is so saturated with power and glory that we could easily fall into this trap, this counterfeit God. And God is calling us to something better. He's calling us to look upward to him. Daniel hears about what the king uh, has issued, and he realizes if, if God doesn't intervene, they'll be swimming with the fishes in the morning. And so, God, and so the king gives him one night, and, uh, and Daniel goes and he gathers with his three buddies. And it says here in Daniel 2.17, Then Daniel returned to the house and explained the matter to his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They urged, he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be ex- executed like the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the, to, praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. Now see, we recognize we have power. All of us have control over things in our lives. We have control over things at our work. We have control over uh, things in our family. We have control at least over how we spend our own money and our own time. All of us have control over things. But, the, but we need to recognize that the power that we have is not our own power. The power we have is the power that God gave us, and so we must learn to rely on Him. See, if we were to say the opposite of the counterfeit God of of power and glory, the opposite of that counterfeit God, it is to trust and rely on God. And so here's my questions. Are you relying on God? Are you living so that God is glorified and praised in your life? Jumping over to the New Testament, 1 Peter 4.11 says, If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. I have to admit that uh, the last couple of weeks have been personally, some challenging weeks. Uh, I'll, ad- I'll admit that uh, Mark's passing was very hard on me personally. And uh, 
Chelsea's been away at times and just a lot of things going on. And there was a time, uh, with, even within this past week, I just, I was looking around, I was looking outward at all the things, and I was just at a point where I felt like, I'm done, I'm toast. I don't have anything else to give. And, uh, and I sat in that state of misery for a, at least three days until I finally had the, uh, the wisdom and the wisdom given from God to look upward. See, I, I think all of us can fall in the trap of looking inwardly. We look outwardly and then we look inwardly, but we are called to look upwardly. And when I, be, uh, event, when I eventually took the moment to look upward, it didn't change what I saw outward, but it did change my perspective and, it's, and, it, and this is easier said than done, but at least I was reminded in that moment that all things that happen to us, even the most difficult things, because you may be going through something really hard today, and I'm not denying that, and I'm not minimizing that. You may be going through something really hard, but the promise of the, of the Scriptures is that all things God is working together for our good. And I know that in my own life. After I have gone through the most difficult things, sometimes it is only in hindsight that I can look back and say, God was doing that for my good. And we might not be able to see it in the midst of it, but it is a call for us to constantly, just as Darren talked about how we are to fix our hearts and our minds on Christ Jesus, we are constantly called to try to turn our eyes upward to look to God and to trust in His sovereignty and His goodness. Those two qualities of God are like two sides to a coin. God's sovereignty, that He is in control, and God's goodness, that He does all things together for our good. And we have to learn, if we are to live according to this better way of life, of looking upward, we learn to trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of God. Daniel was thrilled that he got the contents of the dream and the interpretation. In verse 6, in verse 30, it says, and he's talking to the king at this point, I just give one phrase, not because I have greater wisdom. Say that with me. Let's, let's say that a couple times. Not because I have greater wisdom. One more time. Not because I have greater wisdom. You see, sometimes we can hold up these biblical characters on a pedestal and say, wow, they're superheroes, just one step down from God. If only I, if only I could be like uh, Daniel. And it's not trying to be like Daniel in that Daniel was such a great person. Daniel and you and I, are we're all rowing in the same boat. There's nothing special about him. What is special is about the God who dwells in Daniel. And that's the exact same God that dwells in you and I. And so we might be able to say right along with Daniel, not because I have any greater wisdom, but because of the God in me. And so now Daniel begins to give the, the uh, dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And I'll just read it. We got an artist's rendering of the, uh, of the dream here. Can I have the artist's rendering of the dream up on the screen? And uh, that's, that's the dream. Let me read it, and then we'll just highlight it couple things here. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous and dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. 
The head of the statue was made of pure gold, and uh, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partially of iron and partially, partly baked clay. While you were watching, now here's the key part of the dream. This part's not uh, in the statue, but here, here's, the, here's the key part. And while you were watching, a rock was cut out, not by human hands. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces and became like chaff on a on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a large mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, we're not going to uh, take the time to go into detail about all the parts of this dream. But uh, Daniel gives an interpretation here. It says here in verse 36... This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. Your majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. I just I want to pause there for a second, and then we'll go into the rest of the interpretation. But notice what Daniel said. Daniel never says the problem is the power and the glory. And God's going to give us things in our lives. Some of us, he's going to raise to positions of tremendous power and glory. And that's a wonderful thing. But to recognize that it is God who raises us there. It is not our own doing. You see what Daniel says to the king? The God of heaven has given you this dominion and power and might and glory. Now, historians have pieced it together this way, and I'm going to race uh, here through it because this is not the most important, but the gold head was the Babylonian Empire, which existed. Daniel uh, says this in the interpretation. I'm, I'm going briefly. Uh, the Babylonian ex- uh, Empire existed from 605 to 539 B.C. This was followed by the Empire of the Medes and the Persians. They took down the Babylonian Empire and they ruled from 539 to 331. It was followed by the empire ruled by Greece from 331 to 168. The Roman Empire from 168 to uh, 168 BC to 476 AD. And then lastly, the feet of iron and clay was were the what we what historians call the divided nations, the, the superpowers who this is speculation, but at this point, but um, superpowers of Europe and maybe even to this up to this present day. And I race through that because the most important part of the dream, the interpretation is about the stone that it says was not cut by human hand. Let me read that, inter- the, that part of the interpretation in full. Verse 45, In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So what is that kingdom? In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will there be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain. 
but not by human hands, a rock that bore up, the rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces. The kingdom that will last forever is the kingdom of God that is brought through Jesus Christ. God's kingdom is the everlasting kingdom through Jesus. And we as Christians do not live for an earthly kingdom. We live for the kingdom of God, knowing that God is ultimately in control of this world and in control of our lives. Now, Nebuchadnezzar heard the dream and its interpretation, and it was so powerful that, in, that for a while he humbled himself and began to worship God. But as I said, these uh, counterfeit gods are tucked away deep in his heart. And so only two chapters later, we read of Nebuchadnezzar again up on the, on the roof of his palace. And it says, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, is not this great Babylon I have built? as the royal uh, residence, by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You see, Nebuchadnezzar is up there and he's taking all the credit for himself. It's all me. Look at what I've done. And God looks down from heaven and he says, enough is enough. I'm I'm fed up with it. I've given you one chance after another and you will not acknowledge me in your life. And I'm afraid that too, that I am afraid that for any of us that God would look upon our lives and we are in, living in such pursuit of power and glory that God may eventually say, enough is enough. I'm done with it. Have your own power. Have your own glory. Continue just to look inside if that's what you want. And God is calling us to a better life to look up to Him. Now Nebuchadnezzar was driven into the wilderness like a wild beast until he acknowledges God's power and glory. But eventually, again, once and for all, he will humble himself. And it says here in Daniel 4.34, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Raise my eyes towards heaven. Say that with me. Raise my eyes towards heaven. And my sanity was restored. Then I praised the, all, the Most High, and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar finally took his eyes off himself, and he placed his eyes on God. Nebuchadnezzar moved from self-reliance and self-glorification to God-reliance and God-glorification. And he goes on to praise God in this way. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand and say to him, What have you done? And I hope that we read those verses and we might be able to resonate with every one of those words. That God's dominion is an eternal dominion. That God is over all things. And we do not have the right to turn to Him and say, God, what is it that You have done? Now we can genuinely ask God, what is it that You are doing 
But God, we know deep in our hearts, is one sovereign and two good. And as much as we would like to think we are in control of our lives, we ultimately have to actually admit that it is God who has brought all good things into our life. We trust in His sovereignty and we trust in His goodness. Your marriage and your kids and your job and your schoolwork and your retirement fund and whatever else is important to you is outside your control. And the better, and the sooner that we uh, get a handle on that, the better. Now, that does not mean that we have no responsibility in all of this. We are stewards and we work hard at our work and we work hard at our marriage and we work hard at our parenting and our financial responsibility. But we work with God and with the strength and wisdom that He gives because we must be like Daniel, get in the habit of not looking inwardly but looking upwardly to Him. And when things go well, it is God who gets the honor and the glory. Proverbs 19 21, many are the plans of a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And that is a good thing because God can be trusted. God is sovereign and He is good. So let me close with these three application questions. Can you put your trust in God today? Do you know Him to be both sovereign and good And will you give him the glory for the good in your life? God is in control and he is good in all his actions. So my challenge to all of us is to trust him and to glorify him. It is he who works out all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's pray. And so God, now we come before you and we rest in those promises and those truths. We come before you and we seek to, just in the last minutes that we have together in this sanctuary, to quiet our hearts and to humble ourselves. And even as I preach these words, I'm convicted in my own heart. These, These things are obviously easier said than done. But God, I pray that you would give us all strength to be able to not look outwardly and inwardly, but to look upwardly, that we might look to you because you are sovereign and you are good and you can be trusted. And so, God, we put our attention on you because we love you and we know that, that you are in control of our lives. And we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.